Well, well here's the deal. Now, some of these uh, outdoor shows have beautiful blondes and so forth. I've got Larry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even more testament to your success over these 23 years. How did you do it without a beautiful blonde by your yeah, side? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's who you know. That's all there is to it. It's me. It's who you know. Studley. <laughs> yeah, well. Fish Stories. Fish Stories. Fish stories. Sharing fish stories is best when you when you have somebody who has been there and been there with you. Fish stories. Hey fishing fiends, welcome to Fish Stories. This is Fishing Buddy. Today I'm taking you along on a conversation with two Hall of Fame anglers, Larry Meyer and Gary Howie. They took a break from filming a walleye segment in Getty, South Dakota for Outdoorsman Adventures Television to chat with me about their fishing careers. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, and there were a lot of great fishing stories told. Not all their stories are here, but you can find the rest at fishstories.org. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So it's Thursday afternoon, early April. You guys took a break from filming a show to yep. sit down and chat with me. Spend I really, time with my good buddy, buddy. I really appreciate that. It's been a while since I've seen you guys. Oh, it has. Yeah, it's probably yeah. last time you guys. Uh, last time you guys were in Pier, which was a couple of years ago, I think. Got to see you at uh, Ramcota, I think. Yeah. So. But it's kind of cool. I get to sit and talk to two Hall of Famers. It, yeah, that's amazing. It, it's really. I don't. know. What do you say? It's a. It is big honor, and a surprise too, right, Larry? Yeah. <laughs> We were fishing last spring with uh, Ted Ted Takasaki. Mm-hmm. So there was three Hall of Famers in that yeah, boat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you guys probably don't think anything of it. I mean, it's just, it's just. I mean, I'm sure you're honored by it, but yes. you know, it's just what you do. Yeah, that's exactly. All we've done, most, yeah. mostly. Yeah, not all we've done, but it's a good share of what we've done for. Oh. In my case, fifty years. Mine since about the 1980s when I started uh, the publication, so yeah. So Gary Howie, you've you've been in it, like you said, since 1980. Uh, You started a a newspaper, essentially about uh, hunting and fishing uh, in Nebraska. Northeast Nebraska, originally, yep, you bet. Uh, And then you sold that after 15 years and started Outdoorsman Adventures Television, and that's been on the air for 23 years now. Yep, you Um, bet. And you just sold that. Yep, yep. I've uh, I've got two young guys coming in that are going to take it over. Larry and I will still be involved because uh, of the fishing aspect of it. But yep, I'm going to try to slow down, and uh, Larry and I plan on doing some hunting and fishing. Yep, more hunting and fishing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> without the cameras. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you were just inducted in the Hall of Fame last year, right? Uh, 2017 inducted. Yeah, 17. Yes. Yep, you bet. It's oh, it's a great honor. I. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say. I guess it's just a great honor. But no, speechless he, for once. Huh? Yeah, it's, yeah, and that's something. I'm, 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 yeah. All you have to do is give him a good award, and he won't touch. Yeah, yeah, no, there you go. I'll shut him up. No, it, it it was really something. I was, you know, very blessed to uh, to have somebody put me in for it, and uh, like you say, it's uh, something I cherish. Let's put it that way. And then uh, Larry Meyer, you're an award-winning outdoor writer from Sioux City. Originally from Worthing, South Dakota. Originally from a, from a farm near Worthing. Farm yeah. farm boy. Farm boy, yeah. 
And then you went to school at USD, University <laughs> of South Dakota, graduated in 1966. 66. And then you went on to write straight away, went, in, went and started writing for yeah. the Sioux City Journal. Yeah, I interned there in 65. And then you retired as editor in 2007. Yes. Which is really unique in this day and age yes. to see someone go in interning and then work at a place for a long period of time and then retire at that same location. And become editor and was editor for 18 years. And that in itself is a little unusual for editors. They but don't you usually. are a little unusual, Larry. So. <laughs> yeah. And you well, hit the nail I was on gone the head most there. of the time, so <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Yeah. I was hunting and fishing. There and, you go. And then for 20 years, you've been helping Gary with Outdoorsman Adventures. Right. I mean, sorry, you've been riding his coattails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might call I've say been, that. I've been catching his fish. That's <laughs> I've been catching hell out of that sound. <laughs> so that kind of leads to my next question. So, Larry, you were inducted in 2016. Yes. So how much shit did you give Gary for being inducted before he was to the Hall of Fame. Freshwater he couldn't because I put his name he in. He nominated. Uh, <laughs> that's how you got him right yep. there. Yeah, and I had uh, a writer from Kansas City put my name in. But, yeah, we're both from South Dakota. I'm originally from Watertown, and like you say, he's from from down by Sioux Falls. Just so. south of Sioux Falls, about yep. 14 miles. Yeah. So. <clears throat> how did you guys come to know each other? Oh, you God, remember? Well, you had to bring that up. Let, let me tell that story. Oh, you've told this so many times. <laughs> i got to memorize. Well, I, I'm going to... I'm not going to do the usual. Uh, I was fishing with my wife, Fran, in a fishing tournament at Springfield, South Dakota. And it was a two-day tournament, and we ended up in third place. And Gary had his newspaper at the time, so he came over to cover the results of the tournament. So he took our picture, and so I tell everybody that we, when we met, I was standing in the winner's circle, and Gary was taking my picture. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's, I can, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I can tell you've told this a time or two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But he, 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 you got the short version. <laughs> he did, he didn't yeah. get the two-hour piece. <laughs> and within probably a week or two weeks, Gary calls me, and he said, I've got this invitation to go down to Truman Lake. Truman was a brand-new lake from there. I don't know whether it was a chamber of commerce or what. And he said, would you like to come along? And I said, yes. So that was our first trip together. And that was quite a trip, wasn't it? That was quite a trip. The <laughs> lake was at flood stage. <laughs> I mean, like 30 foot above flood stage. Raining. And we had some experiences, but we had a good time. We had yeah. fun, and that's kind of, we, then we started hunting and fishing together. So, and then we started going to pier. I mean, I, I guess I started going to pier in the 70s fishing, and there was a, a guy by the name of Steve Nelson <clears throat> who was working for tourism. And Steve and I had gone to the university together, drank a few beers. and a few, uh, Just a few. <laughs> yeah. So he calls me one day, and he says, you got to come up to Pier. And I said, why? He says, well, we got great fishing up here. I said, well, we've got great fishing down here in Francis Case. Why do I have to drive another 150 miles? Our fish are bigger. So I said, okay, I'll come up. So I went up there, and in those days, everybody stayed at the Holiday House Motel. And uh, two guides had been lined up to fish with me, John Brox and Rick Ray, and we're sitting in the motel. I'm sitting in the motel room. They knock on the door, and we start making the plans. And I said to John, "I know you," and he said, "Well, I know you too." If I come to find out, he went to the University of South Dakota the first semester that I was there too. 
So, yeah, and he was from Watertown. And that started a long relationship of fishing and hunting with those two. And some years I would make six to eight trips to Pier a year. And uh, and the, the fishing was fantastic, and, and, and Steve was right, the fish were bigger. And uh, the hunting was excellent, pheasants and grouse and waterfowl. And so, And then Gary and I started going up there together probably 83. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, he and I was, was there all the time together. Pier kind of came to be a special place for you guys. Was there... Are there any other lakes or, or bodies of water that you guys have really come to appreciate over the number of years? Well, being I'm from Watertown, the glacial lakes up there, they're, they're phenomenal. You know, uh, the variety of fish you can catch, and, you know, if they aren't biting on one lake, you can just slide yeah. down the road a bit and, and uh, yeah. fish another species or another lake. <clears throat> well, you really like the Webster area, Watertown area. And uh, all of the lakes up there. There are a lot of new lakes since that, you know, started growing bodies of water. But uh, when I was in high school, I was fishing Royal Lake. And when I was in college, we made several trips to Royal Lake. And then Enemy Swim was another favorite lake of mine as a, as a kid. I had a boat when I was a junior in high school. Uh, lake Ponset was another favorite lake of mine. In fact, Fran and I spent a two-day honeymoon there. <laughs> Took his wife fishing, fishing. on a honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> you heard such a deal. At Lake Ponset. Yeah. At Lake Ponset, yeah. And he showed everybody how to fish there. It, I it, did. It, that's, it's coming. You'll hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did catch some fish, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Became yeah. a local celebrity almost overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Legend in his own mind, buddy. <laughs> Got up the next morning about 9 and went into the restaurant. And the guy says, well, how did you do this morning? How many fish did you catch? And I said, well, I didn't go fishing this morning. <laughs> But they expected you to catch fish. They expected fish. me to catch fish, yeah. Uh, so when we're talking that. about favorite places in South Dakota for us, we'd have to mention Below the Dam at Yankton. We'd have to mention Lewis and Clark Lake. And we'd have to mention Francis Case oh, because we spent a lot of time all the way through there. And we'd have to mention the Big Sioux River for catfish because that's another place we like to fish quite a bit. Uh, of course, Sharp, you know, is, we've fished that a lot. we fished Oahe all the way up to... Mobridge. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I like the Black Hills for trout because I'm a fly fisherman. And of course, the West River stock dams, we fished, had some good fishing there. Yeah, phenomenal. It's just uh, the fishing opportunity in South Dakota for someone who wants to go out and look for it is just unbelievable. It's just literally unbelievable. And you guys are outdoor, you know, all around outdoor enthusiasts, you know, duck hunting, turkey hunting, geese, deer, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But you've been fishing for the better part of your lives and doing it as a job. And that's not normal. I mean, most people can't do that and be successful at it. No, no, it's difficult. I, I actually started fishing when I was four years old. My parents liked to fish, and my grandparents lived on a farm with us. My grandpa liked to fish, and they took me. <clears throat> and then I, I got my first boat in high school, and, and they, my dad was good enough to let me go on weekends, and I had 1952 Dodge, and I'd fish Madison and Brant and Herman, those lakes, Lake Alvin, Swan Lake. And then uh, when I went to college, USD, I built a 12-foot wooden boat and put it in a backwater down by the airport uh, south of Vermilion and caught northerns in the springtime, crappies, largemouth, and catfish. And uh, I guess... I fished the dam at Yankton the first time, and I must have, I think that dam closed in 52, and this must have been like 53. 
So I would have been about 10 years old, and we had relatives in Yankton that we would visit, and then we would go out to the dam, and I can remember catching crappies with a crappie rig over the, over the uh, wall and reeling them up, you know. So a lot of them would fall off. But in those days, the river was loaded with crappies, and the reason was they were uh, channelizing the river, and they'd put in these uh, rock wing dikes. Some of them were over a mile long. And that would create slack water behind there. And the crappies would, would uh, spawn in those rocks. And my first boss, editor of the paper, Erwin <clears throat> Sias, sold an article to Outdoor Life, I think about 1955, I have it, talking about the wonderful crappie fishing in the Missouri River. And, of course, once the river became channelized, that all disappeared. And by the time I got to Sioux City in 66, we still had several oxbows, and th those were loaded with crappies, but the main river part, uh, the crappies were pretty much non-existent as far as catchable numbers. So the way I got into the professional part of fishing was uh, I started writing outdoor articles, and I started with magazines and fur fishing game, fly fisherman magazine. And then in 73, my boss, Erwin Sias, was probably one of the best fishermen I've ever met. And uh, he and I started fishing together a lot, and he was writing an outdoor column, and he asked me in 73 if I would co-author it with him. And so I did, and then when he retired in 78, then I took it over full-time. And then about, <clears throat> it was a column that appeared on Sunday's sports pages. And I don't remember now, it was probably about, eight years before I retired that we turned it into a full, full page of outdoor news every week. And then I, we also created a tabloid, hunting and fishing tabloid, that I did uh, every other month. And we did that uh, for several years. Uh, even after I retired, we were doing that for quite a while. So, Was it hard to break in and, and do that and start writing articles for publications? Back back in the day, I mean... Was it hard to sell things? Was it hard to sell things? Was it hard to... I mean, was it easy to get in contact with people? Was it easy to call someone and say, hey, I have an article, I have a, I have a good story for you? Like, is, no, that, is it I'm, different I'm, from today? Back then, you didn't just call the editor because he'd hang up on you. <laughs> if he didn't know you. Okay. So you had to get on. So you had to write a letter and probably uh, a page and a half of the, uh, of the beginning of your story and your photos. And then ask if he would like if he would like you to complete it. Well, once uh, once you've sold to them, it becomes much easier to sell future articles to any of them. And for Game and Fish magazine, Iowa Game and Fish and Dakota Game and Fish, I sold probably 150 stories, close to 150, and never queried once. The very first story I wrote, the editor called me picked my name out of the outdoor writers list and told him up, told me what he was doing, what they were doing, and they were just going to tackle Iowa as a magazine. And so I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I wrote it, and after that, it was he would call me up and tell me what he wanted, and so it was just real simple. <laughs> and writing came so easy for me that it was like finding money in the middle of the street. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was just, I'd sit down, and an hour and a half later, I'd have, you know, 2,500 words and, and have to do very little editing because that's what I did for a living. That's one thing that, you know, if you do that every day, you finally get good. 
until they name you editor, and then you're not doing it every day anymore. <laughs> Gary, how did you get into fishing? Well, being from Watertown, South Dakota, it's one of those deals. If you don't fish or hunt, what is there to do, you know? Uh, my grandparents uh, were big fishermen, and I only lived uh, one block from the Sioux River, so I didn't have to go far. Pelican was about a mile away. We'd hike out there and, and fish, but uh, primarily, you know, started with... Uh, with pike and bullheads and uh, uh, fish Ponset, uh, fished Alvin, fished Albert. Uh, we fished uh, up at Roy, up at Enemy Swim and so forth. They had a little boat and I just uh, went along with them. And uh, I, I grew up on the Sioux River and pretty much spent most of my, my spare time just a block away uh, drowning worms. If you could do it all over again, would you, I mean, is this what you would do? I love what I, I'm doing, honestly, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, if, but without the support of my family and my kids and stuff, uh, this, with what I'm doing, would not be possible. You know, Larry, that was his job, basically, but me, and, you know, I had other jobs, and I worked into it, you know, first with the writing, then radio and TV, and now we, I do all three, and and uh, in as of July, I'll be kind of uh, backing out of the television, but still doing the radio show and still doing my columns. So, yeah, I, you know, I probably would have would have done it a little bit different, but uh, no, I wouldn't change change a thing. I, I, the the nice thing is you meet you meet so many great people. I mean, not great because they're well known, but most of the people in the outdoors are are super people. You know, I met Larry. You know. That wasn't the best thing, but I got, you know, but yeah, it opened some doors for me. It's one of those deals. But yeah, you, it, you know, it's just one of those things, uh, the opportunity arose, and all I wanted to do was start a sportsman's group. We had to have a publication. Well, I said, well, I'll put something together. So I went to, went to the local printer, and I asked him, and I, he said, well, how many think you need? Oh, about 25 cents. I can't print 25, print 100. So what am I going to do 100? He said, sell them, and that's kind of how it started, and it just kind of went from there. Here I thought you were going to give this really feel-good story about how Larry is important to you, and then you put a cheap shot in there right in the middle. That wasn't a cheap shot. You want to see a cheap shot? <laughs> Let him talk. <laughs> no, we get on each other's case pretty well, and that's I think that's I part it. of our part of uh, part of our show. You know, his secret lures and so forth, and uh, you know <laughs> that kind of stuff. Secret know. flies. You oh, never yeah. you never pull out the fly rod though, do you, when you're out on the boat? Because of him. <laughs> In a former life, he was driving a bull team with a bullwhip. <laughs> Let's be and honest. That's how he casts when he, he well, Larry three makes three casts and his fly is gone. It's snapped off. Yeah, but they're big fish. No, that's snapped <laughs> off on the back cast. <laughs> but Larry, uh, Larry makes these split bamboo rods that are just phenomenal, and he he gave me one of the first. I I said, wow, this is really great. My name's on. I said. This is great. I can't wait to use it. He goes, no, you aren't good enough to use it. <laughs> Just put it over there in the corner. <laughs> I haven't used it yet, but we're yeah. working on it this summer. <laughs> That's a hobby that I've enjoyed for 20 years, and I don't know why, because it's incredibly exacting work and demanding work, and uh, I've made over 100 now, and, and I've made spinning rods. I'm making a spinning rod right now, and I've made casting rods. I think Gary's got one of my casting rods, and... Uh, Spinning and casting rods. I made a musky rod. So, I mean, there's other things you can make uh, besides fly rods. Kind of like editing, though, right? I mean, you're, that's an exacting, yeah. detailed process. Yeah. I could see where you're, you know, you're getting into this detail-oriented thing. And yeah. Yeah, it is. You're working to a tolerance of about two thousandths of an inch. And a human hair is about three thousandths. 
Except so, my hair. Yeah, which is zero. <laughs> Gone. But, yeah. Well, there's still a little fringe there. Though. Well, my driver's license, it says G, and that's not for gray. It's I for gone. Take a <laughs> micrometer and check it here. Mine's going the same but, way. Yeah, so. yeah that's and, and, you, and you do maintain that tolerance. I mean... When you're when you're uh, planing out the strips, you know. The, well, the time you put into it, I, 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 there's no way. I mean, 40, 50 hours to make a rod. Forty I mean, to sixty hours. Wow, yeah. you know, <laughs> and they're yeah. beautiful. I have to. I can't can't say anything derogatory about it. his stuff. is amazing, and most of the ones he makes, he makes for himself. <laughs> How many do you have, Larry? Let's be honest. Bobby. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. you can't count yeah. that high. No. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't. I, He's got. I've got a lot of them. I got a barrel that. Anyone could have one of those for 150 bucks. <laughs> Normally, I get 750. I just raised my price to 1,200 because I wasn't selling enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> but they're worth it. I mean, I'll tell you a strange story. A kid, just one. <laughs> yeah, that I went to high school with. It was my sister. She was three years younger than me, and they had a class reunion. And he's in California, and he came, went to the reunion, and he met my sister, and he asked what I was doing. She said, "Well, he's retired, but he's." Bill split bamboo fly rods now. He says he does. I've got a friend that just is fanatic about bamboo fly rods. He said, well, give Larry a call. So she gave him my number, and he called me up and <clears throat> said he wanted to buy a rod for his friend. And I said, okay. I uh, said, I really need to know what kind of fishing he does and what kind of rods he likes, what kind of actions. So I said, maybe it would be best if you talk to him before we, and maybe I should talk to him too. And he says, what do you charge? And I said, so I'll make one for you for 750 so about three days later, he calls back, and he says, Larry, he says, you're not charging enough for your fly rods. And I said, Wait, well, why do you say that? And he says, well, I went to him, and he says, if he's not charging $3,500, don't bother. He said, I don't fish with anything less. And I said, oh, you want one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's you know, some people have that attitude, and I, I would not want to fish with that individual. I wouldn't want to meet him on the stream because I have an idea what he's like. But uh, he. He'd are, think of you the way you think of me when it comes to fly fishing. <laughs> there are people that, you know, they, they think of fly fishermen as being aloof and that sort of thing. 95% of them that I've met are not. They're nice people. But the other 5%, he was one of the other 5%. <clears throat> did you guys have mentors growing up? Uh, if for fishing mentors or did you have my people My mentor's that... sitting right next to me. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he's taught me a lot of things. Uh, some good, not some bad. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, my grand, my grandfather was an excellent fisherman. But uh, you know, when we started fishing walleyes and so forth, you know, up there we, when I lived in Watertown, we caught what we could. But yeah. with Larry, you know, with, with multi-species and so forth, and uh, I keep an eye on him. He's he's taught me a few things, but right. I've taught him a few too. Also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he wouldn't. He wouldn't say that. But of course no. not. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm not one of the five <laughs> percent. No, I, fishing to me has always been about learning. And Still is. I've never, yeah, and I never wanted to be a one species fisherman. I wanted to be able to catch all of them. And if I would come to a lake and the walleyes weren't biting, I'd go to smallmouth bass, okay. or I'd go to largemouth bass, or I'd go to perch, or I'd go to crappies. And I, so I wanted to be good enough to fish all of those, including bullheads and catfish. I, I guess the closest I would say to a mentor would have been Erwin Sias. Because through him, I met some of the best jig fishermen at that time in the country, in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, C.J. Cap Kennedy, Arnold's Park, Iowa, 
had uh, he was a he had the tackle shop there for a while, and he tied jigs and sold them as Cap Kennedy's Rockaroos, and they were deadly. I've got some with me today. And then Lacey G at that time owned the Wapsie Fly Company, and he had a line of jigs that that he taught me how to tie. And these guys taught me how to tie these, and and I fished with them. And and uh, Lacey and I made a couple of trips to Canada, and and uh, when Cy si retired. So those were my mentors in, in regards to jig fishing. They were just literal experts, and I have to this day haven't seen anybody that can catch fish on jigs like they could. <clears throat> what advice would you have for people who are considering or dreaming about maybe getting into the outdoor industry, whether it be as a communicator or a professional angler or outdoor enthusiast, based upon your experience over these, these last decades, what, what would you say to them? My answer probably a lot different than Gary's. I'd say go to college and learn how to write and learn you know, advertising, learn advertising, public relations, and writing. Uh, because you need all of that when you get out if you're going to make a living at this. You have to, you know, if you're going to break into the writing, you have to be able to write. And you just don't learn how to write unless someone teaches you how to write. And then you have to have the discipline to make it all work. And uh, it does not happen overnight. And you will get, you better be able to handle rejection because you will get rejection galore. And when I was writing right after college, I could paper a wall with the rejection slips I got from editors, you know. And, but it just didn't stop me. I just kept hammering at it. So I would say, you know, get that. And another thing I would say is get next to somebody that's doing it and learn from them. You know, join the, join the organizations and uh, pick these brains of these guys. And most of them will just, you know, go out of their way to help you you bet they will yep but it's uh i think i think education is very important and being a salesman is very important and it's it's not all hunting and fishing no that's for sure and gary will f tell you that with the tv show i mean for me it mostly was because i didn't have to sell ads you know but uh if you're going to be in the tv business or even radio you're gonna have to sell ads you're going to have to be a salesman, and your time on the water is probably going to be about two-thirds of your time at least is going to be selling ads or, you know, doing other work other than fishing. So it's not a, a business. It's not as good as it looks. You know, everybody say, boy, I wish I had your job. You know, and I, I don't know how many times I've been told that. I always I, say I wish I had your pay and your your insurance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that kind of my pay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, if you could just follow me around <laughs> for a few trips, you probably would change your mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when I started the newspaper, I had uh, two other guys with me, and we did 15 shows between December and and May. Just we're on the road all all the time, and uh, that's part of it. You have to sell yourself. You have to uh, sell your product. But I. You know, yeah, I agree with Larry 100%. I w wish I had paid more attention in high school. Uh, you know, I was just wanted to get in and get out, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, a lot of my training came through the military because uh, I did do some PR and stuff for them. But, yeah, uh, that education, uh, you know, the, the journalism especially, you know. Yes. I remember typing on, you know, carbon paper. My column went out on, on oh, carbon yeah. paper, yeah. you know, one of those deals. So. Yeah, I I should tell them a story about the, the owl hooter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote for the Norfolk paper, and uh, 
uh, I wrote a column on, on you know, locating turkeys. You know, I said uh, Highway 81 seems to be the dividing line in uh, Nebraska. On the east of uh, uh, east side of the highway, I use a, a crow call. On the west side, I use my owl hooter. Well, pretty soon I'm getting phone calls from people saying, well, how, do you shake it or what do you do? And I go, what? I didn't get the paper. Finally, somebody gave me the copy of it, and the editor changed it to my own hooter. My own hooter. Ended up on David Letterman. My yeah. gra- my mother-in-law Sick. called me. Oh, you're, you're on TV. Well, they scratched the name out, but there was my smiling face. <laughs> <laughs> that editor should have been fired if he actually he, did that. And I can't believe it. he actually did he it. He did it. He laughed so hard. I said, come on. I got the carbon here. I know what it said. <laughs> and he, so he was doing that as a practical joke? Uh, yeah, he was doing to build my reputation. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it worked out rather well because a lot of the Glow members, anytime we go anyplace, I got Hooter ads. I got taken to Hooters for lunch and stuff. So it was, and I, yeah, first time on television, I'm David Letterman. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a good start. Yeah, you got to go start someplace, I guess. You know? <laughs> no, we've been in, been in a long time. Larry's been in, in longer than I have. But, uh, uh, you know, if you're going to do what we do, like Larry said, you get a lot of rejection letters. You you write for free a lot of times, you know, just yeah. just to, to get your name out there. But it's a it's a, a great way to make a living once you do it. And uh, but it does take an understanding wife, kids, and so forth. That's a lot of it. I'm With just the- going to get into that. You know, Fran and I will be married 53 years this year, <clears throat> and we had talks early on on what I was going to be doing, you know, in the future with the, with the hunting and fishing and the writing and, and all that sort of thing. So we went into it with our eyes open. But what I would say to the younger guys who want to do this and have a family is you have to remember that marriage is a two-way street. You have to give your wife the opportunity that you're taking too and make sure that what she wants to do, you let her do. If she wants to go visit her friend in Minneapolis for a week, send her on her way you know i mean that's the only way it works it can't work just one-sided no it doesn't that's for sure gone a lot on the road a lot it's yeah it's one of those you're deals. gone from home a lot yep gotta have an understanding wife. so family makes a big difference you bet it does so i guess i'm curious what your guys's favorite fishing story is well i you know the catfishing up in canada that was probably the, the best you know that was uh, i had two line class world records on those catfish and and, uh, you know, that that's impresses people. It was kind of cool. And uh, the size, just, and the quantity. What, tell me what, tell me about this place. Where, where, cool. where okay, were it's, you? It's north of, north of Winnipeg. <laughs> and there's a dam on the uh, Red River at Selkirk. And the Red River empties into Lake Winnipeg about 20 miles downstream. And then there's a big marsh called Natalie's Marsh. And you can get lost in there. It's a great duck hunting spot and has been since early 1900s. But there's a, the catfish out of that section of the river averaged 17 pounds. And I went in there the first time with Bob Brown, who was a Fort Dodge uh, sports editor, and we would take trips into Canada, sponsored trips into Canada. And we had heard about this catfishing there, but one day we come in, and for some reason we're two days too early. So we're sitting there cooling our heels. So I asked a tourism guy, I said, well, what about the catfish at Selkirk? You know, that's a good idea. He said, I know a guy that's trying to get started guiding. He said, I'll call him and get him in here, and he'll take you out tomorrow, and then we'll come with our boat, and we'll all fish together. Well, we couldn't believe it. 
we went out and just, I mean, I think our best fish at that time was 28 pounds. And that, and we weighed everyone, and they averaged 17. And so I wrote a full-page story. He wrote a full-page story. And that started the migration of Iowans up there. And the guide, Stu uh, Mackay, uh, quit his job at the railroad after that because he had so many requests for guiding, bought a little uh, concession there called Lillian's and went into business and for the next 30 years just did fantastic. And then Gary came up there. Well, we came out of, we came out off of another trip and we had some time, remember? Oh, we, we came out of Lake of the Woods. Yep, and we swung around. And oh, no, that was walleyes. We were in Lake of the Woods. Was in October. Right? You're right, you're right. And we were doing uh, crappies, which unbelievable, and we could get into that. I mean, that's unbelievable crappie, crappie fishing, up to two pounds and over, mm -hmm. thousands of them. I, I once graphed a school that's a half mile long, solid crappies, and all you have to do is drift through it with anything. So we came out of there, and we had some extra days, and I said, well, geez, I hate to go back. And I said, let me call Stu, and we'll see what's going on with the, with the walleye. So I called Stu, and he said, well... He says, really pretty slow. Uh, but he says, they are getting some big ones. And I said, how are they getting? Well, they're anchoring on humps and, and fishing with uh, seven-eighths ounce jigs and the salted minnows in 12 foot of water. And I thought, what? <laughs> and I said, well, get us a couple of rooms and, and we'll be up there in, in about three, four hours. So we get up there. Well, they didn't get us the rooms, so we had to get them ourselves. And uh, we're fortunately, we were able to get rooms. And we came down to fish, and he said, I, he said, you can take my boat, but he said, I, I can't go with you. So I said, all right. So we took his boat, and we go out, and we find a hump, and we anchor two anchors sideways, and, and we're fishing like this, straight down. That's what they told us to do. And I looked at Gary, and I said, I feel kind of foolish doing this. Yeah, not the truth. <laughs> Maybe we should make a few casts. Well, we made a few casts, nothing. So we get back to this. And all of a sudden, Gary goes, and misses. And I take my jig and go thump, thump, and pick it up. Pattern. Down goes that tip, set the hook, 13.8. Yeah, that's where I, uh, I, I had a, I had brought rods that were too heavy. Yeah. yeah. He, I was using. You needed a little tip action. And he had, uh, had the uh, medium white with a quick tip. I, and I ended up catching a 13.8, a 12.4, and a 10.2, and then we both caught several nines, eight, eight yeah. pounders in a day and a half. Yeah. Same area we catch catfish different time of the year. Yeah. Yeah, the catch. That is fantastic because in the spring it's sauger and white bass. And then the channel catfish start, and then the walleyes in the fall. And it's and still that, good. I was at, took Fran up there a couple of winters ago, and she took a 11-pound through the ice. And that whole river starts in South Dakota, comes yeah. out of Lake Traverse, and, and that flows north. <clears throat> so we fished in uh, North Dakota, too, in the, in the Red River and done real well, too. I think my favorite fish story involves Gary. Oh, here we go. I, I I'd hoped I was hoping on a star that it did. <laughs> you won't believe this. No, oh, here we go. I won't believe it. <laughs> he hasn't even heard it yet. <laughs> but I've heard something. He knows it. We were guiding at Niobrara. Oh, geez. And we got into a place called Hidden Lake, and we just barely got in there. It's an oxbow, kind of an oxbow back in the in the sloughs of all this stuff. And there's only one way in, one way out, and we just barely get in there because of the sandbar. And I'm trolling and jigging along this cut bank, and Gary's right behind me. And we start catching fish. And, I mean, we caught everything, walleyes, rock bass, rock bass state record, world record rock bass. And, well, let me get to that. 
I noticed now that the water's going down, and I said to Gary, we got to get out of here. This thing, there's closed the dam off. I've got a bigger boat than he has. He, he's so throwing the tiller on the console. I scoot through. Gary hits the sandbar, does a 360 twice, and finally shoots out. Well, it was terrible because so he had logs on one side, and the water was gushing through, and I just barely get on plane. So we go to the fish cleaning station, and we're cleaning fish. Here we go. Gary throws this rock bass on the table, and I said, what is that? He said, what do you mean? I he said, that's a rock bass. He I said, I, I didn't even know what it was. And I said, that is the biggest rock bass I've ever seen. I said, that has got to be a line class record, if not more. A state record of some kind. Well, then he throws another one up on the table, and I said, holy I'm getting mackerel. ready to fillet this, baby. <laughs> no, I said, put those away. We'll finish flaying these fish. We'll take the fish up to the grocery store and have them wait. And then uh, we have to take a 100 feet of line that you caught it on. And I don't think we had the book with us. No. So we got to refer to the book and see. So we did all that. I took pictures, had witnesses, had them sign stuff. And uh, Gary goes back and checks, and yeah, the line class records were open. Well, at that time, Berkeley was paying $1,000 for a line class record if you used the line, and another 1000 if you used the rod. So he made $4,000. 2000 Now, come on, 2000 2000 I guess just the they one didn't, They didn't give it for, for both fish? We only registered the one, but... Uh, yeah, he yeah. couldn't register the other because he caught it on the same rod. Both of them would have been state was... records, but the one was a line class so, rule record, yeah. He gets two thousand dollars, of which I have yet to see anything. And and it was my a state friendship's got to be worth something. <laughs> well, it's worth at least more than that. Uh, at least. Yeah. But it was a state record. I can't remember which state. It was South Dakota. South Dakota state but unfortunately, record. Unfortunately, you know, within the year, some bass fishermen with great big heavy line. Mine was the all time. Was the line class as well as the all time, and uh, he broke it. Uh, so, using yeah. heavy line took me out of that high class, out, out of that uh, old time. But yeah, yeah. I, you know. It's, it's but I made cool. two thousand with uh, Rick Ray and John Brocks on Burbot. Eel pout. Eel pout. Same thing. Loda. Yeah. <laughs> Loda. Scientific name. Lawyers. Below uh, below the dam at Pier. In April, they go in there thick, and you just have to drift that fast water. And uh, I imagine they're still there today. You know, there was a couple in. In Florida, yeah, that one made like twenty some thousand dollars doing yeah. that. But every day you could redo it, and so you'd catch the smallest one in an open line class that didn't have any records, and then come back the next day or whenever it was legal again and catch a little bit bigger one and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and you could keep that up all season. So they finally stopped it, but it they had it was, a, it was cool. in effect for three four years. Yeah, it was cool. Yep. So I guess I have one more question for you. Um, when the next generation or, you know, future generations, you know, your, your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids listen to this many years from now, um, what is it you would like them to know about you? Well, I think we would like to be remembered more as uh, all in favor of preserving the resource and, and passing it on to the younger people. Exactly. Educators. Yeah, yeah. I really do. To educate people and uh, that we, you know, caught our share of fish. But a lot of it, a lot of what we do is catch and release. And, the biggest uh, majority right now. It yeah. Really is. The, you know, the bigger, the bigger fish go back. And uh, I think that, you know, coming, the coming generation is really having it lucky because... Oh. You either had to know somebody, you know, or learn it the hard way. And now with the internet, 
Uh, I mean, there's YouTube videos to showing you how, how, how to do every, anything, mm-hmm. virtually anything. And so all that information is there. When we started giving fishing seminars, we gave one in Sioux City together to 1,200 people. And the reason they, there was that many people was that there was no information at that time. And we, you know, the seminars we did in the, in the old days would, would drop two, three hundred people. It was to little tiny places, you know. So a lot of times it was standing room only. I gave one in Lamar's. I pulled in with my wife. And my God, people were lined up for three blocks. And I said, well, this is going to be good. That place can't even hold that many people. Yeah, he, he's going to wonder who's talking here. And <laughs> I and another guy, he was a peer guide, were the program. And we had a little table where we could set our stuff and, and talk. And, I mean, everybody was closer than you are to me, you know, the closest one. And the whole room was filled. You don't see that nowadays because the information is out there. But and, I and think the- we'd like to be known as conservationists and that we tried to do our part through our through our writing and our television and, and radio work to, uh, to, sh- to show that, you know, because I think that's important. Oh, it's very important. You know, it's uh, what kids are learning today, and, you know, like Larry said, comes off the Internet, but the electronics and so forth, uh, the locators and things that they have now, yeah. you know. We used to line up a grain bin and a, and a you know, pine tree, and now they just – they oh. buzz out with the GPS and yeah. and they're located around the spot, so what, it's what it's going to be easier for them, no doubt about it. Yeah. We we uh, we learned the hard way, I guess you might say. Yeah, and you have to. I mean, I remember ice fishing trip over in the Black Hills. What was the name of that lake? Deerfield. 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 Yeah, that was one of them. And it has perch in it. Well, we went up to the dam and we started punching holes and dropping our depth finders down there. I thought my depth finder was broke. And Gary said it's only eight foot deep here. And I Nuts. said that's impossible. In my, I'd put mine in, eight foot. Well, what that was was perch. Solid perch. It was perch. probably about 30 foot. And you'd get down about 12 foot, and they, those were the biters. And as soon as you got down there, boom. And we had our limit of perch on the ice like that. And then we stopped. But there's a lot of people that wouldn't, you know, because there was nobody around. There was an eagle. Yeah, we helped him out. Stool, he stole a couple of our fish. But <laughs> they usually do up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, you're going to run into that. And to be honest with you, with a television show, uh, I have people come up to me and say, why do you put them back? I said, well, because that's future. That's the future of fishing. Well, uh, you know, I could, I'd like some fish. And I said, okay, you buy a license, a fishing license, and... You don't have to go fishing. I will bring you the fish, but you buy that license because that money goes in. It goes, you know, to the game of parks to, you know, preserve, preserve the the future of fishing and hunting. Do you think that because it's getting so much easier? Do you think that's good for the sport? Is, is that good for fishing? Well, I think it puts a lot of pressure on the fish. I mean, you know, they, you know. But still, I still have to get them to bite, you know. But yeah, but yeah it's, not it, a, it's not a given deal, but it is a lot easier than when we started. But fisheries biologists have made such great strides over the last 40 years that it is flatly unbelievable. Uh, in the early days when I was teaching fishing at WIT University, I would tell the class, fishing is becoming so popular that the day is coming when each lake will be individually managed and the limits of will be different at each lake so you're going to have to really pay attention and everybody laughed well look what's happened yep. you know 
Now you better really pay attention to the regulations because we've got slot limits. We've got, you know, maximum one fish over something. And and the Missouri River, you know, you can keep fish part of the year and certain size fish part and not. So all that's come about. You know, given the fact that fisheries biologists are learning and really on top of everything, that uh, the resource is going to be in good shape. Well, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been uh, really great to chat with you, and thanks for all the great stories. Yep, and thanks for welcome. the conversation. My pleasure. Yep. Yep. Hopefully, well, we can have some more down the road. Yeah, yeah hopefully. We do something together down the road. You yeah. Know? I'd love it. I'd love it more than anything. Yeah. As long as you don't bring him along. Yeah. <laughs> you want to catch fish or not? <laughs> yeah. Give me your cell number. I'll go. call you. I'll leave you. Here we go. Special thanks to Larry Meyer and Gary Howie for taking the time to sit down with me in Getty, South Dakota, chat about their fishing careers. We have a lot to learn from these two Hall of Famers, and it's been an honor of mine to get to know them over the years. I look forward to many more meetings and hopefully some fishing adventures down the road. Go to fishstories.org today for more fishing stories and angler voices, and of course, become a true fan if you can. Your support helps keep the Fish Stories archive alive. Thanks for being a part of our community, and thanks for listening. Don't forget to stay awesome. Fish Stories. Fishing Buddy.